Welcome to Roots in Graffiti, a short chat diving into the happenings of Jasper County, Indiana. Episode topics range from project announcements to conversations about rural issues. Hosted by the Jasper Newton Foundation and Jasper County Economic Development Organization, together we'll explore and break down what's happening right here in Jasper County. I'm Brian Hooker with the Jasper Newton Foundation. And I'm Stephen Eastridge with the Jasper County Economic Development Organization. Welcome to Roots and Graffiti. Our guest today is Roxanne Roman. Roxanne is the mother of two and a grandmother to a beautiful girl who will be two years old in just a few weeks. Her son, Jose Jr., is 11 years old and attends Indiana Connections Academy. Their home is full of love and fur babies. They have two dogs, a cat, and six fish. They recently moved from Monticello to our community here in Rensselaer. The best part of their move is seeing all of the Santo Cranes in Jasper County during the spring and fall. They enjoy going outdoors, exploring, fishing, creative art, creating art, and loving animals of all kinds, especially snakes. <laughs> she graduated with a bachelor's degree in psychology from Purdue University Calumet and is one course away from completing her MBA. Roxanne became the direct executive director of CDC Resources in March of 2019. The organization has grown by leaps and bounds over the last year and a half under her leadership. Welcome, Roxanne, to our Roots and Graffiti podcast. That's right. This is the first time we've recorded in this space, so the economic development you hear in the background at the stop signs is really important. It's all good. Welcome. Uh, very happy to be here. Thank you very much. Part, part of uh, Roots and Graffiti and uh, Jasper Newton Foundation and Jasper County Economic Development wanted to bring in um, different entities in our Jasper County community, and we have yet to focus on a nonprofit. One of our larger nonprofits happens to be CDC Resources. Want to talk about how you serve our community? If you might think it's valuable to be located in a rural community, like if that offers some benefit to your clients, to your staff, if that you know, if that, or maybe it doesn't, but just maybe it might. I think one of the most compelling things I've heard from you when I first met you was the day they announced your joining CDC Resources um, at the Rensselaer branch here, and you shared a story about how you came to serving our community members with um, challenges and disabilities and your life story kind of leading up to that, and that you have really big dreams for the people you work with and work for, and um, it was really compelling, so I want to get to where you can share that with us. So CDC Resources has been around since 1953, and I don't think people really realize that. And it started as a grassroots movement. Some individuals' parents found out that there were not resources or education available for their children. And at that time, when you had a disabled child, a lot of time, the answer was to take them to an institution or somewhere else. And these families, they chose to raise their children, and they wanted something different for them. So they created classrooms and education and and development for them and it's funny because our administrative assistants kind of going through our history we found a ledger from the 60s where their balance was $750 so that's wow. what they had to create programs and it's evolved into this you know and we're still here in 2020 so we serve individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities in five rural counties we serve Jasper, Newton, Carroll, White and Benton counties and so we provide a variety of services in our organization. We offer day service programming, which is typically um, vocational skills or adult daily living skills and things like that. 
And we've worked really hard in the last year to kind of change that model. A lot of times in the past, it's kind of been seen as a daycare. But I really push that who we serve, they're not children, even though they're cute and fun and loving. They are are adults, human adults, just like you and I. So we've been kind of evolving that program. We have three group homes that we serve, and that's more of a structured setting for individuals who require uh, more teaching. So it's like cooking skills and hygiene skills, you know, Mm -hmm. laundry skills, things like that. And it's a structured setting. Then we also do supported living, which is more community integrated. And we can provide those services in somebody's family home. Or we have individuals who actually, you know, own their own home or they have signed their own lease and live in their own apartment in the community. And we provide staff to them. And that could be like an intermittent basis, Mm -hmm. like a couple times a week to go grocery shopping, check meds, or it could be around the clock, 24-hour supports. You know, they're not ambulatory or maybe they have mental health issues or things like that that require around-the-clock supervision. Then we also provide job training through our Heartland program, and so we assess individuals for their capabilities. We communicate with employers in the community, and we find them jobs, and then we provide job coaches who teach the employer kind of what their unique needs are and then also provide support to that individual so that that employment can be long-term and they can be successful at it. Wow. Um, Many people don't know, but we do run the rest parks on I-65, off of Kikiki, Wolcott, and we do have some individuals in service that work there and do a very good job, and then we also employ people from the community there as well. And then we have a thrift store in Monticello, Mm -hmm. and all the proceeds go to that to kind of fill the gap of funding. I think um, sometimes we're misconstrued. We are not-for-profit, so we do depend on donations just like everybody else, but we also do receive Medicaid funding and things like that. But it's a balance between both funding sources to really get the resources that we need to to make people have a, a meaningful and successful life. Now, nonprofit funding is always a challenge, especially if you have a misconception in the community that you're receiving funding from someone else and you don't really need donations to make those programs work. Right. Um, one thing I've noticed since Roxanne's come on as um, executive director is uh, the social media presence has been amazing. So whoever's running your Facebook page is doing an awesome job. There's so many crafts and exercise things happening in groups that you're serving, and it just looks like it's the happiest place to be uh, some of the days, so I'm kind of jealous. Like, maybe I get my office to do a craft together or something, because there's just a lot happening, and I feel like that this is part of our community, and we often ignore them or forgotten about them, and they're, they're a very vibrant part of our community, and it's just nice to see a lot going on there, so... Round of applause to the Facebook person. So Thank you. That's actually a team of us that kind of put up pictures there, but I have to give a lot of credit to Barb Root, who is our transportation specialist slash activity specialist. And that activity specialist was in a position we had before. It was kind of born out of the COVID crisis. Yeah. Because we did have to close things down initially in March and furlough some employees because we had to close departments. And the transportation supervisor, she... She does Barbary's Cakes. She's out of Delphi. I'm going to give her a little plug there. All right. <laughs> um, she is very crafty, and, and she wanted to not be furloughed and, and go into the group homes and still give them something to look forward to each day. So it was kind of created from the last program director. It was their idea to put an activity specialist in, and it's just really blossomed from there. Wow. And it has really evolved our day programs as we reopened, and they are doing like meaningful crafts and they're actually kind of like building their own business. And so mm-hmm. like through the crafts, we used uh, don- donors dollars to buy the initial supplies. And so they make the crafts, they sell it, they it, they get the money back and they can buy more stuff or 
have pizza parties or wow. or use it for things that you know that they want to do. I mean, when restrictions are released, I mean they could go out and things right. like that with those funds. Um, but they really are becoming little entrepreneurs and creating their own business. We've even had people order items from Florida and we wow. ship them out. So that's so cool. It, it, that's an evolving thing, and we're very proud of that. Yeah, no, see how it's that amazing. Grows. There's some great. I've seen great wreaths. I've seen some great painted pottery things that have happened. I don't remember all of them, but there's been some really great stuff on there. Yeah, their next project is furniture. They're working on a desk right now. Really? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's so pretty awesome. It's evolving, and it is a very exciting. Tell me, tell us your story. You, I know you've been through um, a number of roles in, in similar organizations to this one, um, have a family experience in this area, and, and now found yourself as a director of a very large nonprofit. And so tell, how did you, tell us how you got there and your story and where your passion comes from. So it all kind of started when I was in college. I, it was my senior year, and I had a degree in psychology, and I had just had my son. It was difficult to fulfill the, the internship expectation, but they had, well, it was kind of like a, a blended class where it, it satisfied my internship requirement. It was actually on developmental disabilities. And I had no idea that that was even a paid role or that was even a career choice. So I was kind of mm-hmm. exposed to it from there. And then we went on a tour of an agency in Valparaiso and I became a drug support professional and I fell in love on my yeah. first day. And I just was like, this is what I want to do. The people that we serve are the most loving, talented, compassionate, overlooked group of people that I know. Mm -hmm. And when I'm with them, I feel accepted, appreciated, and loved. And so they just had my heart from day one. And so from there, I was, you know, I supervised a group home, and then I was ran some cases like as a coordinator, a QDDP, and then moved to southern Indiana and managed six offices, and then 23 offices, and then... I was recruited from Indiana, and I lived in Omaha, Nebraska for a little while, and I did an executive director role there for one year, Um, but I wasn't happy, and so CDC Resources had the opportunity on Indeed, and I was actually driving back through Iowa from Indiana back to Nebraska, and it was November, and that huge blizzard hit, and we're literally (laughs) going 10 miles on 80, and I counted like 63 car accidents, but oh God. <laughs> I had to get back to Omaha, and I was just like, okay, I can't count car accidents anymore. What's going on? Like, what other jobs are there? Because I, I don't want to go back to Nebraska anymore. And I found this one, and I applied, and, and moved back to Indiana, which was a wonderful opportunity, because um, my grandbaby had just been born, so I was very excited to come back to Indiana. But all of my passion, it really comes from um, my grandma, Carol, and her son, Josh. Growing up, Josh was born with severe cerebral palsy, and when he was first born, you know, the doctors looked at her and told her, you don't have to raise this child, there's places for him to go. Loving her, that to her was a challenge, and she accepted it. She wanted to take that baby home and prove him wrong, that even though he was severely disabled, that he was going to have a good life. And so when you look at Josh, there's a lot of things that you can see that he can't do. You know, he, he is in a wheelchair, he's non-ambulatory, um, you'd think he's nonverbal, but, but he's not. Um, so he, but he can't verbally speak. He um, can't feed himself and, you know, do things for himself very often. And so growing up, we had a lot of questions about Josh, you know, like what's wrong with him and things like that. Carol was very good about setting us straight and, <laughs> and, and kind of teaching us that Josh was just like us. He was just trapped in a body that didn't work. Oh. You know, he still had the same thoughts and feelings like all of us. He just, his body 
mm-hmm. and enable him to express that. So she never placed limitations on him. And I remember, you know, growing up before communication, devices were a big thing. They would communicate with eye blinks. And um, so they had their own language. Wow. And she homeschooled Josh, and his favorite subject was geography. And he awesome. loved that. Oh, my God, that's amazing. And he, he is super artistic. And so it, and he started painting these wonderful pictures with his mouth. So his mom would kind of give him, like, a pencil outline and put the paintbrush in his mouth, and he would paint beautiful artwork. And in my bio, there's actually a link there where you can see some of the stuff that he's done. Fantastic. And one of the best <laughs> stories, because I follow my, my Grandma Carol's blog, um, is he got a Toby device um, a couple years ago. And so with the Toby device, he, he can actually use eye gazes mm-hmm. to pick sight words and communicate with people verbally, Yeah, and which is amazing. And so one of the first things that Josh wanted to do was paint nudes. <laughs> so he spent all his, you know, these years painting these wonderful pictures, but he's he's an adult man, you know? I, oh my goodness. That was, that was, he wants to paint nudes. That's awesome. It is awesome. And now he's actually, he's working on, he wants to write a book. So he's using the Toby device to, to write a book. That's amazing. With hopes of getting that published. And so, um, unfortunately, I don't get to see them very often. Um, they've moved but they really are my heroes and they do serve as a constant reminder of what's possible when you love and believe and you take chances against all odds. And it really is my heart of getting the word out there and educating people about, although the people we serve are cute and lovable and they are my heart, they are not children. They're adults and they have the same wants, needs, desires as you do as an adult. Mm -hmm. They may just not be able to express it the same way. And so I think we need my goal is to kind of change the conversation about services and the way we provide services to take more of that adult approach and feed those needs. We have lots of individuals who want to be business owners. They want to get married. They want to have sex. They want to go to yeah. a bar. I mean, they're human adults. And, you know, trying to get rid of right. that stigma. Right. Wow. That's a big job, dude. What kind of challenges do you feel that you face with CDC resources that are unique to being in a rural community? Whether it's optics, whether it's resources, structure, things like that, what kind of challenges do you think are unique to being in a rural community? I think the largest challenge is the vast geographical area that we serve and how spread out that is and and getting the people that we need to travel to those locations and and getting an, an adequate number of, you know, staff and skilled employees to run the business. That's one of our biggest challenges. You know, if you're in a more populated area, you can serve people, you can serve 20 people within a three-mile radius. Mm-hmm. You know, as we're here, we may serve people in a 70-mile radius. And it takes just as much staff, but more resources to get that done. So that right. that is certainly a challenge. And then also, you know, in light of COVID, when we had to shut down a lot of departments, there were some services that we could perform remotely, but we have encountered some challenges with the availability of reliable internet in some of our rural areas. Absolutely. So there's a lot of families who can't afford satellite internet, plus satellite internet is not good. <laughs> um, so that, that's created some barriers, um, but we're, you know, hopefully that'll be changed soon and there's some opportunities to do that. And then also um, mental health supports for the individuals that we serve. I was talking to a case manager a couple weeks ago and, and heard them say, you know, maybe 50 years ago what we did, it was like, 
you know, cute downs, or that's what they said, someone with cute downs, and like, they're just playful, and you know, kind of like that babysitter mentality. Right. Um, but especially in the last decade, the type of individuals that we serve has really evolved, and we are seeing more and more individuals with dual diagnoses. So they're intellectually or developmentally disabled, but they also have a mental illness. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that mental illness is either biological or it can be trauma-based. Right. Unfortunately, a lot of our individuals have been the victim of severe trauma, and just like an adult or human, right. they have those trauma responses and that anxiety and that fear and things like that, but they can't express it like you and I can. So one of the biggest challenges is finding not only mental health providers in the area, but also mental health providers in the area that are willing to be patient with our individuals and really get down to what is causing some of these, what we observe as behaviors. Mm -hmm. You know, because behavior is communication. They're trying to tell you that they were hurt or that their anxiety is at a 10. Right. Or that they're seeing things that aren't there, you know. Right. But physically, just like my, you know, my Uncle Josh, physically they can't express that the same way that you or I could. Right. And, you know, in in larger cities, you know, as as more studies are done and more research is done, you're going to be able to have access to some more of those specialties, uh, as where in these rural counties, not so much. What I hear is, is that if someone wants to go to school and set up shop, they could have a really thriving practice in the area. So that's what I'm hearing. Yes. (laughs) Much needed. Yeah. And so our our kind of response to that um, last year is we did partner with Meridian, and so they provide ABA therapy. Mm -hmm. And so we've been able to bring that in-house and get 12 individual services that way. And so that has helped some of that. But, you know, let's be real, Meridian is is not a local community provider. They come from Muncie and in Indianapolis. Those are large cities. So, yes, there certainly is an opportunity for someone locally, if they do specialize in that, to shut up, set up shop and right. contact us. Yeah, no, absolutely. Opposite here, rural challenges. Have yeah. you noticed anything that might be a little sparkle because we're in a rural area, minus those challenges, something that's a benefit to being in this community as opposed to an Indianapolis or a Muncie? You know, I can wholeheartedly say that the team that I have at CDC Resources is the most compassionate, dedicated, and mission-driven group that I've ever had the honor of leading. And I think that comes from the family values that they were raised in, you know, coming from these smaller communities where we do depend on each other more often, Mm -hmm. and we are more open and more connected. And so that is certainly a blessing, especially with the challenges that we've faced since I've gotten here. We've went have been able to overcome that right. had it not been for their values and their dedication. So that is that is certainly a blessing. And even in these rural counties, I've there's more people willing to help and, and just kinder people sometimes yeah. than, you know, <laughs> in those more congregate cities. So that, that has certainly been a blessing. I appreciate yeah. the kindness of everybody. That's things we're good at. We're good at working. We're good at helping out. And, yeah, you'll find a certain flair of Midwestern kindness here that, that doesn't exist other places. My little heart gets hurt sometimes when I'm bigger places, you know, saying hello or making eye contact, and it doesn't get received the same way it does here. Yes. <laughs> Good morning feels like a threat other places. Yeah. Who are you talking to me? I know you have some individuals working at the local grocery store, and I see them benefiting from regular human interaction and the kindness of of store customers as well just like anyone else who would work there so i always hope that um, our community is doing a good job of just in general 
um, taking care of each other and you know expressing our thankfulness for each other regardless of our role it takes all of us it does take all of us takes the guy who fixes your car to the Mm -hmm. guy who owns a business to the farmer to the Stevens of the world you know it takes everyone to make it work so you know it takes the person who bags your groceries like that's how communities work so everyone's important on those levels this isn't maybe the end of this end of what we're talking about but one of our famous questions here and I know you've kind of alluded to it a little bit but our communities have seen other directors in your role come and go we've seen other nonprofit professionals in different arenas come and go I have seen in you just from um, our brief interactions either through grant applications or just different situations that have come up where we've needed to interact um, together. Why? You don't have to care. I mean, you could go every day to work, do your job, in finger quotes, and go home. But that's not how you do your job, Roxanne. (laughs) So why, you know, why do you care? I really stay in this field for one reason, and it's to prove to the world that our people are capable of achieving anything when they have the right supports. Um, I learned that from my grandma, and I want to carry that forward into the world. You know, I care because... The people we serve really are the most loving, talented, compassionate, overlooked group of people that mm-hmm. I know. You know, when I'm with them, I feel accepted, appreciated, and loved. You know, I've, I even struggle with anxiety and social anxiety. Mm-hmm. But with them, there's no judgments. It doesn't matter who you are or what you look like. If you're going to talk to them on the same level as a decent human being, they're going to treat you back right? like a decent human being. Amazing. I care because I love them, and I want to be a voice for change because mm-hmm. a lot of them don't have a verbal voice. They have ways to communicate, you know, whether it's a Toby or eye blinks or behavior. Right. But a lot of them don't have that verbal bo- voice, which is the most understood, you know, when right. you are advocating for change. I think for decades we've created a system around intellectual developmental disabilities that unfortunately has put them on the outside of our communities. Yeah. Uh, I think sometimes our services are looked at as a daycare or that we're babysitting. And I hear people say that. And I don't think they mean that in any malicious way. It's just they're uneducated about what we do and what we can do and what our people can do. Yeah. I feel like they have a lot more to offer than we give them credit for. You know, I really do dream of a system that serves them where they are, that allows them to dream, to fail, and to get back up and try again. You know, because although we are not-for-profit and and we do good work, we also operate within a heavily regulated environment. And I think sometimes because there's so much red tape, we're afraid to let people try and fail because then we did something wrong and now we got to write 15 reports and notify 20 people, (laughs) you know. And so there's this aversion to risk that really kind of is a barrier to their potential. Mm -hmm. And so I would just like to create an environment where it's okay for them to try and fail. Mm -hmm. It's okay, you know, like for a four-wheeler. I like to go on a four-wheeler. I know when I get on that four-wheeler, I'm probably going to get hurt. Something's going to (laughs) happen. Walk off with some bruises and... But sometimes they don't get to experience those things, even though they're capable, because a bruise is literally five reports. Right. <laughs> That's okay. Like, just take the risk. Let them live their life. Let them live a whole life. Yeah. And, and teaching people that, you know, they are really humans like you and I. Their, their needs are not different than ours. Their wants are not different than ours. You know, they're, they're not babies. They're not children. We, we may like childish things. As an adult, I love unicorns. I'm the... Biggest Harry Potter fan. You're See? in good company. <laughs> Not technically age appropriate, but it's our choice as adults to do those things. Right, yeah. absolutely. I want them to, to live their life, to dream, to fulfill their dreams, to be 
like everybody else and seen like everybody else because they can give so much, mm-hmm. even if it's just love and happiness. Absolutely. You know. I have two questions. Well, first, to, to a listener who doesn't know how to help or be involved or be a part, how do they contribute in some way to what your organization is doing? And two, what's the one thing that you want the listener to know? If they hear, if, if they just are like driving on the road, zoned out about something because work was bad, and they only catch one little snippet out of you know the 40 minutes of this podcast, what's the one thing you want them to take away that it brings them back to your organization and, and what you guys are doing? Helping any way you can help is always meaningful, whether it's um, volunteering a few hours to say hello or be a companion. A lot of our individuals that we serve do not have unpaid companions. Mm-hmm. So like you get to go home to your kids and your wife and your husband and, and you have love and your family and things like that. And it's natural for them, their everyday life is someone paid to be there. And so they don't get that mm-hmm. natural love and, and family life like you and I would. If anybody has an interest, just becoming a friend of mm-hmm. someone that we serve could make such a huge difference in their life. To have someone who is not paid to care could change their life forever. Mm-hmm. And so that's the number one way that I would encourage anybody to contribute to our organization and our mission. Always, you know, even if you're not comfortable, maybe being a companion with somebody, like writing them a letter, or you could be Facebook friends with them, or, mm-hmm. you know, you could volunteer we always have maintenance issues so if you're a handyman and but this really isn't your forte maybe you're not even a people person but you want to give in some way we always have maintenance issues we can certainly use some volunteers if if you're handy and would like to come fix some things or make things better for us we'll take that absolutely um always looking for like craft supplies and because they are creating their own little business and becoming (laughs) entrepreneurs so you know, if you're you're cleaning out your closets, which I'm sure a lot of us did in the last few months, yes. and you come across <laughs> old craft supplies, don't throw them away. Don't give them the goodwill. Give them to us. Our, our individuals will use them. You can also just donate to our, our thrift store in Monticello. All those proceeds go to help fill the gap of funding so right. we can create person-centered programs. And donations always. Although we are funded through Medicaid, we do get grants and, and tax appropriations. There is some misunderstanding. Usually a not-for-profit is very lean and small. A traditional not-for-profit um, but for us we're providing Medicaid services we're in a highly regulated environment so we do have to carry a large overhead cost in order to remain in compliance and pass our certifications so that our doors can remain open and so there always is a gap of funding so any even if you can't give your time or your things if you can just write a check even if it's five dollars, right. right. that makes a difference. Right, you're you're literally caring for humans, our neighbors, twenty four seven. Yes, it's a whole different arena than an arts organization or a program based thing that's open. It, you're, you're taking care of our neighbors, so yeah, that's significant. And the one thing I want people to walk away with and and remember is that unless they're a visible child, those that we serve are not children. Mm-hmm. They are adults. They are human beings, just like you and me. They have the same wants and needs, but they may not be able to express it the same way that you and I can. So when you see them in the community, please don't come up and pinch their cheeks and tell them how cute they are. Please don't stare. Respect them as a fellow adult human being. Say hello and be kind. And I always, I always plug our Facebook page before our webpage. Our webpage is outdated, and the donate button there does not work. Um, 
we are trying to raise funds to fix that. But Facebook is fully functional. All the donations buttons work on that. You can also create fundraisers and share those on your timelines with yeah. friends. doesn't have to be a certain type of season. So, And there's great content on there. You can see how happy our people are. Yeah. And you know, if you want proof, then I would encourage you to scroll back um, to a year and a half ago to current, and you can see the evolution of our organization over the last year and how amazing that has been. Giving Tuesdays on December 1st this year. So if you're, if you're saving up to give, that's a great day to click donate on the CDC Resources Facebook page. Put that in your notebook. This is probably one of the more in-depth, like really deep conversations we've had. Thank you so much for coming. Well, thank you very much for this opportunity and being able to use my voice for them. We would love to continue this conversation too. If you have other events coming up, it'd be really great even to hear about entrepreneur programs, like to come on and share about things that are for sale and, and you know how that's going in one of your group homes, having some of of your people come share about their lives. I would love I would love to work that out. That'd be um, amazing. That would be awesome. Well, Roxanne, thank you for joining us, and thank you for caring about your job and about the people you serve, because it's, I, it's evident. It's evident in how CDC presents itself in the community. So I appreciate it. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation about Jasper County. For anything related to the podcast, or information about today's conversation, you can email Bree and I at rootsandgraffiti at jaspercountyin.com, all spelled out. And there will also be links in the show notes below. Thanks, guys.